This is Emily Wright, Head of Content at EG, and welcome to this episode of Tech Talk Radio. So today I'm joined by no stranger to this podcast, Wide Scores William Newton, and delighted to invite, and I correct me if I'm wrong, George, but this is your Tech Talk Radio debut as Watkin Jones's George Dyer. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me on. And it is your debut? It is my podcast debut. So uh, <gasps> not only... No. This, this, this <gasps> podcast but my overall podcast debut so uh, oh my goodness your first podcast well we're honored absolutely honored <laughs> we'll try and make it as <laughs> as friendly and experienced as possible go on William what are your top tips for podcasting as such a regular my, my top tip is definitely not to put your glass of water down too noisily nor in fact to spill it all over yourself as I have done with Emily before Yes. Yeah, I think I remember that. <laughs> we've had many, we've had many a podcast mishap, not just William, of course, many, many podcast mishaps over the over the years. And um, at least when it's remote, it's a bit less obvious when we're in the studio, um, nothing could be hidden. But anyway, welcome, George. Um, and so today we're talking about connectivity, as one would expect um, with any podcast where we um, have wide score on board. And we're going to be talking about connectivity and why it's fundamental for hybrid working. And we're looking so pretty specifically um, at purpose-built accommodation sector in the UK um, and looking at why it's so essential that landlords meet the evolving needs of renters and students um, and why um, placing increased value on providing reliable digital connectivity in multifamily and student accommodation um, is going to be so important going forward in terms of hybrid working. Let's start with a personal question, though. Um, w- w- back when we were doing, not too personal, don't worry, back when we were doing um, podcasts um, when we were all in lockdown, I asked everybody as a first question, you know, how are you handling it? How are you coping? Um, and very fitting, given that this, this podcast is very much about hybrid working. Um, but now I want to ask how you guys are finding hybrid working because that is something of a new challenge um, and I've certainly found diary management a bit more a bit more complex um, having got used to being sort of very much based in one place and meetings being able to be back to back without sort of any concerns about getting from A to B. Um, so how have you guys found it and uh, as it's your debut George let's start with you. Thanks yeah no I think in general it's working pretty well um, I think I was very ready to get out from home uh, at the end of Q1 sort of this year. And I think getting back into the office and seeing people again is great. Um, the diary management piece is a challenge at the moment and certainly trying to find days when I'm not suddenly, you know, in the office for a single meeting and things like that is, is quite challenging. So I think going into next year, one of my New Year's resolutions will be to try and be a lot better at diary management. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a good mix. It's good to be spending time at home, doing some focused work, it's also great getting back into the office to see people as well. Excellent. Good answer. I like that news resolution. Am I still that one? Um, and William, how are you finding it? How how are you sort of adapting to, to hybrid working? I cannot tell you, Emily, how much I'm enjoying being back uh, in the office and being surrounded by colleagues. I'm in kind of a couple of days a week at the moment and at home a couple of days a week. And I don't think I'd really realised in the last year and a half how much I missed the kind of general interactions while wandering around the office. Um, and I found them to be both fun and energizing, but also productive for work, you know, doing kind of occasional uh, idea generation with people who I wouldn't have necessarily scheduled a meeting with, 
but have lots of interesting thoughts and input um, has been has been just a joy. Maybe unusually compared to some other people, um, I'm trying to schedule it so that when I'm in the office, I don't have very many meetings. And most of my meetings are going to be over Zoom because WideScore is a pretty international company anyway. And so I try to keep my meeting days to be the ones mm. when I'm at home. And I keep my days in the office to be the ones where I've got lots of unscheduled time and I can go around and have uh, accidental conversations with people um, which is uh, yeah, both fun and productive. That's interesting. That's 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 a really interesting way of approaching it, actually. And maybe maybe it's more sort of more commonplace than I than I realise. But that's the first time I've heard anybody sort of put it on to that way around. Um, and I think you know, for lots of businesses, particularly ones like yours, where it's you know very international, um, that that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, and yeah, it's a shame to lose those, as you say, accidental meetings in the office and to go all the way into the office and then not really see colleagues because you're dashing out every five minutes for meetings so that's that's interesting but I think both of your answers have really highlighted that that the hybrid working is very much um a, a kind of it's on a spectrum it's a different people a bit different people will have different ways of approaching it and that is both the beauty and the challenge I think of it um so let's talk a little bit about connectivity um, and how it can help hybrid working um, in terms of you know, the, the sectors that we were that we were talking about, uh, you know, looking specifically at multifamily and student accommodation. Um, and those are those I know are, t- are two sectors that you're kind of, sort of pretty focused on at the moment um, in terms of ensuring that that hybrid working element does work. Um, so remote working, not a new phenomenon, um, but now that it's much more widely adopted, it ha- is sort of impacting more on, on the sectors that we're talking about today. So how can we ensure, or not, you know, how, how can the industry ensure that it's as successful and seamless as it possibly can be? Uh, William, let's start with you and then George will hear from you after that. Thanks, Emily. I mean, I think it's worth us all just marvelling at what's actually happened uh, over the last 18 months. You know, we, we all know, I think, that the real estate sector has genuinely been at the epicentre of the global pandemic. We, we've all borne witness to what a fundamental and, and potentially permanent changes to the way that um, office workers and students conduct their, their day-to-day lives. Um, our kind of working from home and learning from home reaction wouldn't have been something that was possible 20 years ago. And it probably wouldn't have even been possible 10 and, and maybe five years ago. Um, thinking in a kind of grand scheme, previous plays have made uh, labour incredibly scarce and they've significantly reduced demands. There are some famous examples um, that, that um, show that that's not true for everyone. You know, I know that people love talking about the uh, Annus Mirabilis of, of Isaac Newton in 1666, where the, the plague allowed him the time and reflection to produce some of his greatest work. But but most people in the economy and education suffer terribly during points of, of global pandemic. And that, that hasn't been true in, in the same way um, over the last year and a half um, because of the, the phenomenal connectivity, um, which underpins you know, regular and meaningful remote work and has allowed allowed us to continue to be productive um, uh, since uh, since March 2020. Um, but, I, but I think, we, you know, we're looking now at what this means in the future. And we don't think that this shift was a temporary thing that people only wanted to experience for 
uh, 18 months of their lives. This is something that is going to be a, a new normal for the way that we work. People really believe now there is a better and a more constructive way for them to, to build their lives. Um, as uh, as I've mentioned a couple of times today, we've just done a survey across Europe um, of, uh, of office and, and, and home workers. One of the more interesting stats we pulled out was 51% of people we surveyed think that the internet is actually better at home um, compared to 27% who think it's it's better in the office. So thinking about remote work, we're now incredibly well set up for remote work where we have landlords and developers who are, are thinking carefully about how to facilitate it for people who want it. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, so speaking speaking of landlords and developers then, um, George, your thoughts? Yeah, I think basically what we've experienced over the last 18 months is really an acceleration of some of the trends that have been, as, as William says, sort of starting to come come into play in the last five years and you know, generally during times of war and, um, and, and unfortunately pandemics and things like that, you do tend to see that acceleration of technology. Um, and I think the one benefit out of the out of the pandemic pandemic is I think we're starting to see some of the more positive aspects um, of technology and that ability to work remotely, the growth of video conferencing, for example, I think is is really, really beneficial. Um, the key part for us as developers is really trying to design somewhere where people want to live. And a critical part of that now is also where people want to work. Mm. So, you know, for us, connectivity is a key part of that. Um, and it's also about designing spaces for work, be that in the in apartments or equally, you know, within the buildings. So from a Walking Jones perspective, you know, we're looking at how we can integrate things like business lounges into our building, um, bring in co-working space uh, into the buildings as well, and really sort of create an environment where you know, people are happy to live, happy to work um, and have sort of the best of both worlds, really. And how much of a shift is that from where you guys were and what your mentality was pre-pandemic? Um, because, I'm, you know, pre-pandemic, certainly in the offices space and I, I think as well um, on some of the, in some of the other sectors on the residential side, um, you know, communal space and space to collaborate, um, those were becoming um, more um, sort of commonplace and it was something that was sort of becoming more um, integrated into the heart of what people were doing and what people wanted. But what's happened over the past 18 months, 24 months has really, really accelerated that. So how much of a leap has it been, do you think, for you guys, both in terms of mindset and actual delivery? I think in many ways, so the residential for rent sector was pretty well positioned um, for this. Um, you know, a lot of our tenants, particularly in the PBSA space, are students, young people who, you know, really rely on connectivity. And that's been a key part of how they've grown up and how they use um, their buildings. So from Watkins Jones perspective, um, we're constantly gathering insight from our residents in our fresh properties. Um, and really the aim of that is to give our residents sort of a better experience. Um, and one of the key learnings from that is really that connectivity has always been very high up the agenda. Um, so the change really has, has forced us to really focus on that further and sort of refocus our, uh, our, our, our focuses on design and connectivity within the buildings. So we are constantly evaluating things like Wi-Fi speed, how the connectivity works throughout the building um, and really making sure that we're delivering, you know, effectively great product um, for, for our tenants. Mm. And sort of leading on from that question, really, and I'll come to William on this first um you know about how much of a leap it's been um in terms of 
how prepared the real estate sector as a whole has been to be able to cope with demands of renters and students off the back of what's happened, increased demand, increased expectations around connectivity, increased expectations around the right design to facilitate that connectivity. Um, how prepared do you think the real estate sector has been, William, and, how, and what sort of signs are you seeing that steps are being made to make sure that everything is moving forward and in the right direction? I mean, I think broadly we're seeing a pretty pretty mixed picture with some people having been quite prepared, some people getting their ducks in a row pretty quickly uh, and realising it was going to be important, and, and then some significant group um, of, of laggards. I, I, think, I think I'm interested in uh, how individuals have responded um, within that to the, to the wider changes. I think one of, the, um, one of my favourite statistics um, from our survey is that 35% of people um, before the pandemic said home was the place where they were most productive. Um, and now 49% of people do. So that's a 40% increase of Europeans who believe um, that their most productive place to work um, is in the home. So I think this shows us that, that it is achievable. It is something that can be done. And so the bits of the real, sector, real estate sector that have been laggards here uh, have some some room to make up to to try and hit the same high notes that those who really got ahead of the problem um, have been. I, I think we've also got to to understand what this is like when you're uh, not you know you're you're going from your home and into the office again, and you're expecting an amazing experience, and you you want your office to be a magnet to really draw you in. And I think it's clear that one of the things people want more of in their office is technology to make their office life uh, a more convenient, uh, a more inspirational experience. So uh, 80% of workers, 79% of workers say that they want their, their office to be technologically advanced. But putting in the technology isn't enough. You've got to make sure that people uh, who are in your office know how to actually use that technology. So just under half of people say that they've actually had the right level of training to make the full use of their in-building technology which means that, that a huge number of people um, are only able to really use that technology to, to a basic level. And, and this feels to me like the, the sector hasn't quite grasped that it's not just enough to, to think about uh, hybrid working and to put in technology to make hybrid working effective. You've actually got to go the whole extra step and make sure you're always thinking about the user and you're working out a way to help the user understand how they can use the, the technology that you've actually provided to, to try and give them a more inspirational experience. And that sounds excellent in theory. Do you think that there are, you know, do you think that that, that will, you know, actually appear across the board in reality? Do you think that, you know, people are going to be looking at the situation in offices and, and, and connecting, connecting those, excuse the pun, um, connecting those two things and thinking it's not just about putting in the technology, it's not just about getting the people back, we've got to, we've got to bring those two together, we've got to make sure that, you know, there's, there's proper explanation around how to best use this technology, how to get the best out of it. Um, do you have faith that, that this, that, that will happen? Um, I, you know, against all uh, reputation in the market and still a capitalist uh, and believe that that will happen and it will happen because of market forces. You're going to see um, buildings that are well connected and smart um, be more attractive to renters and to tenants um, 
in, in the medium term. Uh, you know, you, you yourselves did a, an analysis a couple of years ago that showed that there was a five cent rental premium uh, for um, offices um, that were really well connected. Uh, and, and I think the results um, of that is there will be some leaders in the field who continue to do well, and then hopefully there'll be some fast followers. And the question is whether or not there's going to be a true bifurcation of the market or whether or not there will be a whole load of, of late adopters. You know, the, mm. the danger is that a lot of buildings and a lot of landlords and developers just get left behind. But my hope is that they will see that there is benefit to developers um, like Watkins Jones who are getting ahead of the problem and making sure that they're doing things that are, are fit for their renters of, of today and tomorrow. Um, and then you will see a, another set of landlords who, who suffer from not having done that. And George, let, let's have a, a, a chat quickly about, you know, asset asset classes um, and how asset classes are pretend, sort of now, um, when it comes to connectivity anyway, are kind of like, all, they're sort of, sort of swimming in the same pools a little bit now. Um, you know, it was, I think, obviously remote working isn't new, but now more than ever, there is such a crossover here. So I'm interested, do you think that we will see kind of an all boats rise situation whereby the officer section, they've got to keep up with, you know, um, multifamily and purpose-built accommodation and student sector because they're, they're up in their game because people are at home more and then by default that will sort of go back and forth and everybody will just up their game and up their game or do you think there is a potential sort of scenario in which one as in one asset class and one sector could lose out to another here? I think the, in general all the sets are trying to do slightly different things. I think the key driver of this will be institutional capital. Mm. Do they want from their portfolio? What do they want to see in terms of connectivity and things like that? And I think, yeah, I think in many ways the residue for rent space has been ahead of the curve because of the nature of what we've been trying to do and the fact that you know connectivity is not only for work, it's also for for social reasons and for for the home. So in, it, we've had to be quite front-footed on that in, in many respects. But if you look forward, I think there's going to be increasing demand from you know institutional investors looking at their portfolios and sort of saying, well, we need to sort of have standardisation across how we're um, connecting our buildings. Um, and I think you know, people, if, if you want people to come back into the office three, four days a week, you're going to need to provide an environment where they're able to work effectively and they're able to work in an effective manner in a hybrid from a hybrid perspective as well. Um, mm. You know, hybrid meetings will continue. People, some people will be at home, some people will be in the offices and how you sort of marry that and, and merge those two elements is going to be quite, quite challenging. So the technological aspects of that is going to be very important to, to delivering that in terms of your office tenants, et cetera, having good connectivity um, and being able to sort of really position it well um, across your wider portfolio is going to be quite important. And where does the responsibility for this lie? It, I mean, based on what you've just said, but also based on what William was saying that we, we touched on briefly earlier about, you know, it's so important that um, it's not just about providing the technology, but making sure that, that you know, everybody knows exactly how to use that technology. There's quite a lot of, I mean, it's a simple, it's a simple concept, but it's actually quite a complex um, logistical application from the sounds of things. Um, so where does the responsibility lie for ensuring successful hybrid working using connectivity as kind of um, the catalyst for that? Um, let's, let's start with you on that, William, and then come back to you, George. 
Um, what, so this was a question that we asked um, on, in our survey, and 57% of respondents said that um, employees and universities have a, a duty of care uh, and a responsibility to provide financial support or compensation for connectivity uh, requirements within the home to support remote work and, and study. Um, and, and I think I'll also marry that with um, with what we all know, which is that the landlords who play a part in this uh, end up doing much better for themselves than those who abdicate um, all responsibility. So I, I think it's clear from that that this is something that we cannot just leave up to, to renters on their own. It cannot just be on a student's back to make sure that they end up with a great experience um, of, of connectivity. We, we uh, rely on the real estate sector uh, and the people who work within it to, to step up and know that they have an ability to facilitate something that is going to, to make much more uh, meaningful and productive that the lives of all, all the people affected by it. Thank you very much. George, same question to you. I think from our perspective, you know, we, we take a lot of responsibility in terms of delivering that connectivity. Um, and I think that's that's on a number of different for a number of different reasons. I think firstly, we've just announced some very ambitious um, ESG targets as a group. Um, and we actually have wide scored a wide score is an ESG target. So we're aiming to achieve silver across our portfolio um, and pipeline by 2025 and gold by 2030. And, you know, it's an interesting question why we're looking at that as part of ESG. Um, I think it's because it really impacts our residents' choices and because ultimately better connectivity allows opportunity. So that's not only the opportunity to work more effectively, but also the opportunity to socialise more. And I think we've seen that sort of play out during the pandemic. So having access to the internet, being able to sort of connect with friends and family, um, as well as work has been absolutely critical. Alongside that, I think there's there's the investor piece. And for us, we're developing buildings that ultimately will need to be operational in you know, 20, 30, 40 years time. Um, and ultimately designing buildings that are purpose built and future proofed is very, very important. So from a capital perspective and for you know satisfying the needs of our investors, it's absolutely critical that we're designing buildings that fulfill those requirements and ultimately that are future proofed. So I think, yeah, in, in both sides, both from a B2B and a B2C perspective, um, we really do see it's quite an, an important um, element for us to get right. Really interesting, and I, I, it's very, you know, very interesting um, to hear that you know, wide score um, silver and gold are part of your ESG targets, and it makes it makes sense. And um, but just interesting to to hear to hear you talking about that actually, um, William. I, I, Let's get your feedback on that because um, you know it, it, that must be well. It must be great for you to hear, but but I imagine it makes sense to you as well, given everything that you want to achieve and with with Wired Score. You know, it's really exciting for us. Walk and Jones are the the first built rent student developer in the world to to adopt this strategy. I think it, it really shows their incredible commitment to delivering future proof homes for, for students and for, for renters. Um, I think it's uh, indicative of a, a trend that we are seeing, not just among um, uh, landlords and developers, but also among tenants um, themselves, who are starting to understand the role that they need to play um, and the importance of digital connectivity. So uh, indeed, it's um, fiber optic tables for everyone. 
Excellent. Um, now, George, it's a long time since I was a student, actually a terrifyingly long time. Um, and I'm sort of trying to think back to, to you know, what, what life was like back then. I certainly do. Rem I, I remember getting pretty close to wanting to throw my enormous computer out of the window on one or two occasions whilst trying to connect to something or other. I, you know, I really can't remember. But for anyone out there listening who um, is in a similar situation to me and can't quite remember it, in terms of what it is that students want and what they need when it comes to digital connectivity, is it is it pretty similar to what you know us all working from home and going into the office are after? Or is there anything very specific to the student population um, that you guys are focusing on um, that you're aware of? I think it, there there are real similarities in terms of how we um, would use uh, the internet and connectivity at home. I think. Probably the key difference is certainly we're dealing with a younger population, and therefore they're they're much more technologically savvy than than I certainly am, for example. Um, and I think you know they're looking at using uh, the internet with multiple devices, can be sort of up to five, six, seven devices, and equally speed is very important. Um, you know we are aware of you know instances of students going into a building checking the Wi-Fi speed as they, as they look at different rooms to make sure that they're able to get sort of the fastest Wi-Fi within within the building, um, you know, predominantly for things like gaming and things like that. So really, um, you're dealing with a, a customer base that's incredibly te technologically savvy, really wants to have extremely fast internet and be able to use that across multiple devices. Um, so, you know, it's probably an amped up version of, you know, how I typically would use internet at, at home, for example, which is predominantly sort of browsing the internet and, and Netflix. So kind of, you know, a pretty, you know, in the nicest possible way, of course, pretty demanding um, sort of client, so to speak, there that you've got. <laughs> that, that's correct. And, yeah, they're, they're paying, um, you know, a good, good amount in rent and um, they want they want value for money. So, you know, ultimately there's a responsibility as, as developer and as operator to, to deliver that. So that's what we're quite focused on. Excellent. And finally, um, as with anything um, in, that we're talking about now, and indeed as, as we should be talking about um, anything where um, we're looking at the future, we need to be talking about sustainability, longevity, um, and that sort of falls into so many different categories. Um, but in terms of getting this right, getting digital connectivity right, obviously it's it, it by by default and by its nature is is evolving all the time. Um, but in terms of having the infrastructure there sort of you know right first time or as right first time as possible um, and and sort of making sure that you're not needing to go to back over things, how important is that and how can it most effectively be done? William, let's start with you. Um, well, I, I mean, I kind of completely agree with the with the challenge. Uh, one of my um, my final, I promise, um, numbers from the survey that we did was one in five um, Europeans would refuse to work in a building that's not sustainable, uh, and I think that's that's remarkable. You know, we'll see top down demands uh, from from investors like like BlackRock, and then bottom up demands. Um, from uh, today's workers um, to try and see a drive towards greater sustainability. And, and if we think this generation of workers is going to be demanding on it, we cannot wait to see what uh, what the next generation of, of workers um, requires. So I think it, it's a really exciting, um, exciting set um, of, of raised standards. I, I think in, in general, um, as with all these things, increased transparency in the market 
so that renters and students can have more peace of mind um, so that they're able to complete their work without um, interruption is, is incredibly essential to try uh, and attract and retain um, residents um, in, in homes and, and renters and offices. Um, we uh, we believe that a benchmark for buildings connectivity capabilities is incredibly helpful when when deciding where to live. Um, and apparently, um, three quarters of Europeans agree with us, so we're excited about that. Three quarters of Europeans agree with you. That is that's an excellent stat. Like I, that's that's the kind of stat that it would be great to have framed. I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> on my bookcase behind me. Yeah, on your bookcase. <laughs> um, and that's that final question to you too, George. And I'll, I'll just re remind you, remind you of it. We're, we're sort of talking about the importance of sustainability and making sure that we get things right, or as right as possible, first time. Yeah, definitely. I think you know retrofitting buildings is incredibly expensive um, and also incredibly disruptive to tenants. So, you know, I think getting the technology right day one is very important, or having the ability to scale up that tenant not technology within the building easily. Um, and also it comes down to investment value. Um, and I think increasingly that will be a, a key metric for investors when they're looking at, at their portfolio, looking at new acquisitions within that. So um, from my perspective, I think you really need to get, get that right first time and be planning ahead. I think you know, we're at the early stage across across the resi for rent space of you know the technology of things. And I think that will also you know, increase demand within buildings going forward. So. You know, we're very focused on making sure our buildings are sort of future-proofed um, and we have the ability to to uh, in, in, increase um, sort of the, the internet supply within the buildings and, and you know, the connectivity in the buildings uh, as we go forward. So ultimately, um, getting those elements right up front, spending the money um, and, you know, achieving those accreditations, such as the Wild School one, for example, is very, very important to sort of demonstrate that to investors. Excellent. Well, as always, um, when it comes to talking about connectivity, it's such an interesting conversation. I, it's something which is, you know, even before the pandemic is just so, so easy for people to relate to. You know, it's it's an issue that everybody has faced. It's an issue that is close to everybody's hearts, however much they, they know it is or not. Um, the very fact that, that, you know, the story you were telling us, George, about students, you know, walking around to find the room with the fastest speed. I mean, that just shows what I mean, it shows what kind of, you know, tenants, you're working with at the moment but it also gives a glimpse into the kind of you know the, the people that are going to be coming into the workforce and you know they're going to expect an awful lot and rightly so you know how can how can the world be expected to to turn um without that connectivity in place and getting it right first time or as right as possible is going to be crucial to that so thank you so much to george and to william for joining me today and before we go george i have to ask how was your very first podcast experience quite enjoyable actually it's very good <laughs> quite enjoyable a ringing endorsement there um, do you know what i'll have that one framed <laughs> william from george who's had quite an enjoyable experience and um, until next time and thank you both for joining me